Hi there, this is How to Choose, the show that helps you make better decisions and improve your judgments. Thanks for joining us. I'm Ken. And I'm Tessa. In this, our first season of How to Choose, we're covering some of the common obstacles that impede good decision making and how to overcome them. That's right. So last episode, we looked at non-urgent but still important decisions and how to make time for them in our busy lives. In today's episode, we'll be looking at making the decision to stick it out or cut your losses. We'll dive into the theories of opportunity cost and the sunk cost fallacy to help us. Excellent. Let's go. So, Ken, I thought I'd start this episode with a little familial trip down memory lane. We both have pretty special dads. Yes. uh, And they had very different careers. And I also think they are both good examples of this debate, sticking with it or moving on. They highlight that there is no right way, but hopefully this episode will help you come to the better decision for you. That's a great idea, Tess. How about you go first? My dad studied architecture at Melbourne University, but he never quite fit into the suit-wearing, ladder-climbing scene. So he quit in his final year and got a job as a draftsman. One of his first assignments was designing benches. Oh. Yeah, pretty soul-destroying work. So he soon grew tired of the lack of creative freedom, so he quit. And he decided to teach himself how to become a carpenter. Oh, that's really interesting. Yeah. Um, Now, this was before TAFE and qualifications, Uh, so he just started designing and building houses for friends, and soon he was a builder. Wow. Years later, when my grandfather got dementia, he decided to quit building and became a full-time carer while studying on the side. Eventually, he started Upgrade Building Solutions, a building inspection company. Then he and mum decided to quit again for a move to the country to start a hobby farm and go back to their hippie roots. Oh, that sounds awesome. Yeah, they loved it. Um, But basically, Dad was a serial quitter. Um, This is the the short version, but there are a lot more quits throughout this career. (laughs) Um, But he was happier for it. He was determined not to nickel and dime his life away, which is an old-timey expression of saying frittering away. Um, He was not interested in wasting time doing things that he didn't care about. I love that story. Yeah, what a great life and what what great choices he made along the way. Yeah, great choices for him. Now, Ken, your dad was equally passionate, but in a more committed way, wasn't he? Yeah, so dad was a doctor. He studied medicine out of high school and he stayed on that path. Um, Early in their marriage, he and mum went to India to work in a little hospital in Kerala, which is where I was born. Uh, And dad was very much a pick and stick kind of person. Uh, He worked as a doctor up until he retired in his late 70s. And similarly, apart from his time in India, he lived his whole life in Brisbane and the vast majority in the same suburb where he was born. Uh, He and mum were married for 53 years uh, until mum passed away and he attended the same church for his whole life, 80-something years. He was very much a man of habit and discipline. And while that kind of consistency and deep commitment is not the path for everyone, uh, Dad was able to leverage that to build a tremendous reputation in his personal and professional life uh, with everyone who knew him. And I'm sure he was very satisfied with those choices and the life he led. Absolutely. I don't think he had any regrets. I think these two men really highlight that there is no one right path. Both of them took the right path for them and they didn't have regrets. I agree. And, and look, I think there's a, a personality component to this. If you're listening to those stories and thinking, oh, which one of these should I be? Uh, some people love variety and new challenges, and I'm one of those people. Um, and some people enjoy consistency and predictability. And I think they're of a good friend of mine, Scott. Uh, when I started 
teaching in 1999 in Brisbane. Um, I met Scott and uh, we worked together for a few years. I subsequently went on and did a whole range of different things. Um, but Scott's continued teaching and is awesome at it. Now, 24, 25 years teaching in the school there and making an amazing impact. So, you know, that's the right path for him mm. in that situation. Yeah, and I'm much more like you, Ken. Uh, I definitely like the, the constant challenge and change, but we need people like Scott who are so committed and passionate about their chosen path. Yeah. Mm. Now, The Clash posed the question, should I stay or should I go? Mm. And while we're not here to make the decision for you- Or, or actually to sing the song? No, there'll no. be zero singing, at least right. from me on this okay. podcast. good. Um, Probably wise. <laughs> lower expectations. <laughs> But hopefully by giving you some parameters to consider your decisions, it will be easier to find a good option. Now, some people might be thinking, I don't even want to make a decision. I'm content with my life. Uh, in that case, surely doing nothing is sometimes a good option, Tess? Oh, for sure. We don't need constant upheaval in our lives. But make sure you are consciously choosing to stay on your current course. Because not deciding often feels like the easy option. But by doing nothing, you are actually making the decision to stay. People often do this in relationships. You might be in a rut, not necessarily in love anymore, but you have a comfortable cohabitation and the idea of ending things or upending things is just too hard. Joint bank accounts, finding a new apartment, mutual friends, it's all just so messy. So you stick around, continuing your relationship for a few more months or years until things get unbearable and you do eventually break up. And look, I've seen the same thing in the workplace. Uh, I can remember when I was training to be a teacher uh, I recall that one of the older teachers where I did my prac training seemed to have no love for his work or for the students that he was teaching. His default was to put on a video every lesson for the kids to watch. Um, and I remember thinking that if I ever got to that kind of state, that I had to quit and do something different, not just for my own sake, but for the sake of the kids that I was teaching. Oh, it's such a sad story, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the problem with this kind of stasis is the opportunity cost of what you didn't do. By staying in a dead-end relationship or friendship or job, you are not out there looking for a partner who is a much better fit or a job that will make you happier. So you mentioned the term opportunity cost, Tess. Um, can you, for the benefit of anyone else uh, who hasn't come across that term, can you just explain that one? Yeah, for sure. It's actually an economic term. Opportunity cost ref uh, represents the potential benefits that you miss out on when choosing one alternative over another. Planet Money actually does a great episode specifically on the opportunity cost of dating. Oh, interesting. Yeah, we'll have a link in our show notes. But the key thing to remember is that these are all calculated risks. Breaking up with a partner who is an average match does not mean that you will meet someone wonderful the next month or even the next year. But if you do stay with that average match, your chances are obviously much, much lower. Right. But Tess, you're not advocating constantly upgrading, are you? So, you know, my partner doesn't do the dishes, so I'm ready to level up and move <laughs> on to someone new. Look, definitely not. Um, and this does go to a conversation we've had before about the right choice. Yeah. Look, I'm not terribly romantic, so forgive me for saying there is no one right person out there for us. Yeah, forgiven. Forgiven, good. <laughs> <laughs> I don't believe in soulmates. I do believe there are many people who you would be compatible with and you could have a long and happy relationship with, but there are many more than are not. And it can take some sifting and possibly many dates to find those compatible people. Yeah, look, I agree. And we'll circle back to this point about the right choice in episode 10. Um, 
My wife and I have been married for nearly 23 years. We've got a happy and mostly harmonious relationship. Um, I know I'm not perfect and I know my wife is not perfect either. And I say, <laughs> I say that with love. You're very true. And that, that we're all imperfect, not just that you're not imperfect. Oh, um. thanks. Thank you for clarifying, <laughs> yes. Um, so to go back to your question about the average dishwasher, maybe they have many other redeeming qualities and they are actually a great fit for you. Uh, we all have annoying or strange qualities that make us hard to live with, so we shouldn't expect perfection from our partner. No, so maybe just someone whose flaws are compatible with your own flaws. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, because there's also the opportunity cost of not settling. If you are going on endless Tinder dates, constantly trying to upgrade, you are also giving up on something. The opportunity to forge a loving, supporting relationship with someone, to get to know someone deeply, to save on rent by sharing one room. Oh, very good. How romantic. <laughs> <laughs> to have someone cook you dinner and bring you cups of tea in bed when you were sick. Yes. So, but Tess, I would say this does all feel perhaps a little bit tricky. Um, so, what's your advice then on how, because you've made a case for both staying mm. and going, what's your advice on how to make a decision about a partner? Yeah, look, like so much of what we discuss on this show, you need to do some self-reflection and to consider what your values are. Does this person have similar long-term goals to you? Do they want children, for instance? Imagine life without them. How does it make you feel? Is any of your unhappiness specifically due to this current partner or is it an ongoing problem you've had with all partners? Maybe interrogate any crushes or infatuations. You may find that when you get to know them better, the grass isn't greener and they will have annoying traits just like the rest of us. We are not a relationship podcast or psychologist, so I'm going to stop there, mm -hmm. but we will include some other resources in our show notes. Uh, however, it does go without saying that none of this applies to anyone in an abusive relationship of any kind. If you think that might be you, please call Lifeline or seek help. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So, should I stay or should I go? Ultimately, you are the only one who can make that decision, but make sure it is a decision and not just inertia that keeps you where you are. Well, you've shared a lot of great wisdom there, Tess. I think that's excellent and extremely helpful. Um, as you're talking, it reminds me a bit of the sunk cost fallacy. Is that really what we're talking about here? Yeah, definitely related. It's another economic term. And the sunk cost fallacy are costs that cannot be reversed. You know, you can't get your money or your time back. Like going to a really bad comedy show. You feel like you should stay because you've paid hard-earned dollars to be there, but it is excruciating. <laughs> um, I'm obviously speaking from personal experience. Yeah. <laughs> I saw someone years ago that was trying to be Jerry Seinfeld, and it was so uncomfortable. Oh. I hated every single minute, oh, dear. as did the rest of the audience. Uh, we just wanted it to be over, and the crowd's embarrassment was palpable. Um, everyone was too polite to leave. So not only did we waste our money, we then went on to waste our time. And that last statement is really interesting. That kind of sums up the sunk cost fallacy, doesn't it? You've invested money uh, and then not only do you uh, waste that, but then you waste your time by refusing to uh, to pull out. Yeah. So, I, I, look, I can see how this could be related to relationships or jobs um, where you'd feel like you'd committed too much time to give up then on something. Is that mm, right? Yeah. And this is why it's called the sunk cost fallacy. You know, mm. it is a fallacy. You feel that investment is important, but really you would be better off cutting your losses than continuing to invest in something that's not right. 
Now, I know you've had some renovation dramas, Ken. We've alluded to them before, and that's a great example of the sunk cost fallacy. Did you end up cutting your losses? Oh, Tess, thank you so much for reminding me of that sorry episode. (laughs) Uh, Look, the short answer, yes, but not as soon as we should have. We, We did succumb to the sunk cost fallacy, and if we'd been prepared to cut tires earlier, we would have saved ourselves a lot of time and a lot of frustration. Yep, a lesson to all our listeners. Yes. (laughs) Um, We've had a few examples of people deciding to stay or go, but this can be a very hard decision. One thing you can do before committing is to trial out your decision. If you're in a relationship, maybe this means having a separation or even just going back to dating each other to get out of that roommate funk. Just make sure you make the terms of any separation clear so you don't have a Rachel and Ross situation like on Friends. Ah. Rachel and Ross. You've seen that episode? Oh, look, Tess, when I was living overseas, there were only two shows in English and one of them was the WWE (laughs) and the other was Friends. So I did watch a lot of episodes of Friends. Look, I think you made the right decision from those two options. (laughs) (laughs) If you're on dating apps, this might be spending less time on witty repartee and going to a coffee date. You'll know much quicker in person than you will via text if someone is a good fit. So can you talk, Tess, about how this translates to career decisions as well? Yeah. Another option for a career deliberation is to allow yourself to try before you buy. Volunteer, start a side hustle, or use your long service leave to do what you've always been wanting to do. I'm actually a marriage celebrant on the side. Ah. Yeah, and while it's not something that I want to do full-time, as I do love my work, it is good to know that if I get in a situation where I'm not happy, that I do have other options. Yeah, and as we talked about, look, long service leave for me was a really great chance to explore my interest in writing, um, and it was ultimately the genesis for this show as well. Yeah, very happy that you made that decision. (laughs) Another thing to consider in the stay or go debate is making yourself think about whether your expectations are realistic. There's no point jumping from job to job, waiting for someone to pluck you from the mailroom and make you CEO. There is a certain amount of plugging away in any profession, whether you're flipping burgers at Macca's or a fashion model. Yeah, again, very wise. Um, But look, sometimes things aren't a good fit. What should we do when things aren't working out? Yeah, I agree. Sometimes it becomes clear that if something is not working, then it is better to end it sooner rather than sticking around struggling before eventually calling it quits. It's also known in Silicon Valley as failing fast or intelligent failure, which is a phrase coined by Duke University's Sim Sitkin. Yeah, and to do this, you definitely can't get sucked into the sunk cost fallacy, can you? Yes, yeah. When it's clear that things aren't going right, it's better to rip off the Band-Aid and move on to something that better deserves your time. Now, I think we've answered this question, but then on that basis, Tess, does quitting have to be a negative thing? Oh, definitely not. Sometimes it becomes clear that it's time to quit because we've learned or achieved everything we can in a certain job or career. Consider world number one tennis player, Ash Barty, retiring at age 25 after winning the Australian Open. Time for her next challenge. Yeah, and it's really interesting because she has copped quite a bit of criticism for that. And I think it's because people looked at Ash Barty and thought, well, she hasn't met what I think her goal should be. Mm. But from Ash Barty's point of view, she had a clear idea of what her goals were. She had achieved them and she's gone on, I'm sure, to do other amazing things. Yep. I think she's such a great example of really clear-headed decision-making. Yep. Uh, 
Thanks for joining us in today's episode. We've learned all about opportunity cost, the sunk cost fallacy and failing fast, and ultimately that self-reflection is needed before deciding whether to stay or go. Next time you're contemplating a change, ask yourself some of these questions. Do you feel relieved at the thought of leaving? Can you foresee a future where things will get better if you stay the course? What does an alternative future look and feel like? If you've enjoyed this episode, make sure you subscribe to How to Choose and visit us at goodbetterright.com.au. And tell your friends about us. We'd love to meet them too. Sharing what we're learning is an awesome way to reinforce those lessons. What's your key takeaway today, Ken? Uh, Look, I think for me, it's understanding that there is both a time to stay and also a time to go so that um, you don't have to stick with everything, uh, but nor should you uh, quickly pull out of everything either when things are getting tough. So just having a clear understanding of what your goals are um, and having realistic expectations. We've talked about that a lot, haven't Mm, we, in the show? Um, Excellent. Well, look, be sure to tune in again next week when we're going to be learning about the role of habits in decision-making. Bye.